Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Read Between the Tracks. My name is Caitlin Cromley Lynn, and I am here with my friend and co-host, Jeffrey Edelstein. Hello, and we're going to get back on track. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> with Elton John. Uh, terrible puns out of the way. Yeah, we're getting back on track with Elton John's big album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, probably his best known album. In the last episode, we talked about the major themes of this album, of fame and what it does to you, loss of love, loss of sense of self, all kinds of big, gigantic themes that we saw play out in vinyl number one, sides A and B. We had a few confused questions about some of the <laughs> songs, and we're going to have way more of them on disc two. Disc two is sides C and D in the original vinyl. And uh, we're going to probably just dive right on into a very baffling song, Sweet Painted Lady. Beyond it being baffling, it's just, it, it it's a totally different tonal shift from the perils of fame. Now, just to be very frank with our listeners, because we can do that, this song is about prostitution. It's yeah, it's about very an old plainly... prostitute. It is very plainly about prostitutes, and it's, it has a very sea shanty-ish tone to it. It's about these men from the sea who come back on land, and first thing they want to do is uh, go pay for prostitutes to pay for some company. I think the tone is very casual and flippant, but similar to Candle in the Wind, there's this weird kind of reverence but like unlike in candle in the wind where the singer is saying she's something more than sexual in this case all she is is sexual it's interesting that both of these songs do that where they sexualize a woman and we're going to see more of that on this side of the album where they sexualize women and then but both revere the woman being sexualized this song has a lot of empathy and kindness towards the sweet painted lady who is an older, more mature, more experienced lady of the evening that these sailor boys are all coming to visit. There's that lovely, kind line. It's like many have used her and many do. But again, as misogynistic as the song is, there is that weird sort of reverence like, this is all you are, but isn't it great? <laughs> right, because that's the chorus. There's a place in the world for a woman like you, is like the first lead up to the first chorus, is this like idea that there is a place beside the sailor for a woman like you, a woman with, no rep with a reputation, a woman with a lot of experience. And I actually think that the song isn't just talking about, like, sexual experience. It's talking about life experience. You know, oh, sweet painted lady, seems it's always been the same, getting paid for being laid. Guess that's the name of the game. And that sort of, like, tired refrain encapsulates the exhaustion that we can imagine an older sex worker having. And I would say, though, that this doesn't really talk about sex work. It talks about the perception of sex work that it's this the sailor speaker or the speaker who is viewing this woman is viewing her through the lens of what we would see in a movie of a of sex work not like authentic literal sex work right well that's what i was gonna say it's this the lens of a man like so you have the, a man viewing her it's literally like the, as the title said he's painting this picture of her as he sees her but like 
she she still doesn't really seem to have that autonomy like he's the one who's painting her and is and she doesn't have a name in candle in the wind as she's norma jean marilyn monroe is named this woman she's very generic as i said many have used her and many do it just seems that as much as he appreciates her it's a very surface appreciation yeah and i i'll say though it's it's really like tying back to the themes of the first half of the album where we see the superficial and we go with it and it's harder to see underneath this ties back to candle in the wind it ties back to biola brick road i would even say it ties back to gray seal where we're talking about trying to find the truth and not what the eye sees and so there's this theme of superficiality that we're trying to wrestle with what it's sort of separated from is the theme of like fame is that this woman is not famous she's known by these men in like a couple of different ways like we can play with that idea of being known in a few different ways but you know her second line of this song is opportunity awaits me like a rat in the drain that there is this guttural experience of this woman and it's this really sort of darker story and it's this tired shameful one so it's a bit of a standout for the first song. And then the second one is another tonal shift. But it's also still a eulogy. It's another eulogy. And again, the person has a name. So the, so the next track on this record is The Ballad of Danny Bailey, 1909 to 1934. So right off the bat, we have this figure who, if you do the math, he died at 25 years old. So we already have this image of this person who died young so jeffrey did you want to get into the kind of life that danny bailey lived in this song yeah i mean this is another song that ties back to the themes of the first album funeral for a friend love lies bleeding was the first song on this album and here we have another eulogy we have a couple of eulogies in this album danny bailey is really a stand-in for john dillinger and other gangster characters and there's this romanticization romanticization i can't say it it's fine you're fine like criminal character which was kind of a big theme in the 70s and amongst like rock stars so like we have billy joel's ballad of billy the kid which we all know and love this isn't actually the only time elton john does this we see tumbleweed connection with My Father's Gun, which celebrates a Confederate soldier, although a non-specific one. So this is like another cinematic song. Like we have with I've Seen That Movie too. it references these cinematic film noir themes and styles. We have in, a, in Cold Blood in the lobby of a downtown motel killed him in anger, a force he couldn't handle helped pull the trigger that cut short of his life. And there's not many new him the way we did. What an yes. interesting right? like, pull there. I was just going to say, so again, like you have this theme that's throughout this album of the public versus private persona. And whoever this speaker is seemed to know Danny Bailey as a child. Like either they were childhood friends, ran in the same circle as children and there's this very clear divide 
on how the speaker who is eulogizing Danny Bailey went one way and Danny Bailey went the other way. And there's that line about like finding faith in danger that I also find very powerful. But again, this person is eulogizing a person who lived a very violent and like bloody life, but still finding some, the last bit of humanity in this person. And that that line from verse two, verse two is so interesting to me. The first line of it, we're running short of heroes back up here in the hills. So again, this like, we knew Danny Bailey, the speaker knew Danny Bailey as this like hometown hero. Without Danny Bailey, we're going to have to break up our stills, prohibition stills. Prohibition happening in America, you have your stills, your your fermentation, your pooch, your moonshine. So mark his grave because, well, because Kentucky loved him. And so Kentucky moonshine. Again, this theme that was all over the Tumbleweed Connection album of like sympathizing with the South, sympathizing with the country folk, which Elton John and Bernie Taupin, well, they were more or less country folk. It was certainly Bernie Taupin. And so they would always have these themes of relating to the American South and the American West in their music. Uh, We saw that big time in Tumbleweed Connection and Madman Across the Water, predecessors to this album. But, you know, that last couplet of verse two, and he found faith in danger, a lifestyle he lived by, a running gun youngster in a sad, restless age, which is a really beautiful sum up of the 20s in America. A really, really brilliant way of saying the age that this kid lived in was so tumultuous that he had to become a gun-totaling runner of alcohol in a time where it was illegal. I mean, I keep going back to Candle in the Wind for this song just simply because it's that same that live fast, like die young attitude and just the tragedy of it. And and again, the speaker who knows the private persona or what was the old private persona before Danny Bailey transformed into this gunslinging gangster from this era. As we all know, in the 1920s, there's the stock market crash in 1929, and that's the golden age. That's when it really ended. So that's, that's another thing to think about. Yeah, and it's very sympathetic to this character, unlike the next song, which is... Oh my is... gosh, I don't I don't want to spend too much time on this song, because yeah. this one gives me the heebie-jeebies, to be, to be honest. Yeah, we'll cut it on this one. We'll just kind of say what needs to be said and move on to the song that we really want to talk about. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So, Dirty Little Girl, <laughs> first of all, such a creepy-crawly little title of a song, but... You think about the sort of twisted reverence on Sweet Painted Lady and flips that right on its head. Yeah. Dirty yes. Little Girl is like a very violent, rough, degrading song, pretty much filled with this weird disgust of this woman, of women in general. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I want you to I'm just gonna read, read a, a few couple, lines. Yeah, just read a few lines, but that's really just the the underlying narrative like you think about the reverence and respect whatever you want to call it on sweet painted lady at least if this man is sleeping with a prostitute is like you're all right 
this 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 song dirty little girl fl- like flips that coin and is the exact opposite of that so jeffrey do you want to do you want to read a yeah few i'm gonna read lyrics? the chorus okay this is the chorus i'm gonna tell the world you're a dirty little girl someone oh grab that bitch by the ears rub her down scrub her back and turn her inside out because i bet she i bet she I bet she, oh, I bet she hasn't had a bath in a year. Some other key lines, the song, like, starts with, I've seen you looking like you've been run down by a truck. That ain't nice to say. Sometimes I guess I'm really hard, but I'm gonna put buckshot in your pants if you step in my yard. Which is, like, obviously, like, uh, not just going to shoot you, but shoot Uh, you with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very nice image. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really, really repulsive right. and gross. It is. And I don't know what the mission of this song was going to be, but what I want to say is that it is the reality of Candle in the Wind. Like, Candle in the Wind is this, I see who Norma Jean really is, I empathize with her, the world, and then this song is, this is how the world views her. This is how the world views women. This is like the reality. And I think Toppin and Elton John are smart enough to have done that on purpose to make this song that was not a hit. The song was very much not a hit. Um, well, no one. I don't think this is something you can really put on right. the radio for, and for the, family friendly ears. I think that's on purpose because I think this is a criticism of songs that say these kinds of things because the rest of the album addresses women in an honoring or more realistic way and that being said let's move on to probably one of my favorite songs on the album like certainly my favorite of all the songs that weren't big hits and it's all the girls love alice this song is such a banger lesbian anthem lesbian anthem sadly (laughs) sadly sadly he did this in concert. This was the second song. The first song was Benny and the Jets. The second song was All the, the Girls Love Alice. And before playing this song, he introduced the concert and said, hey, I'm only going to play songs that I like to play in concerts. It's for me, not for you. I'm playing the songs that I love for you. Usually I play the songs that the audience likes, but this, is, this concert, I'm playing the songs that I like. So it's interesting that he picks that out. So when I first listened to the song, I was like, I have no idea what this is about because I was a child. Listening to it as I got older, I was like, oh, it's about a lesbian. A 16-year-old lesbian, but a lesbian. Yes, but there's a very weird message in the song. And I just want to get into very briefly, I know we've mentioned it a couple times, but if you didn't know before, I know this is a shocker, but Elton John is gay. Yeah. (laughs) um, I know, it's a shocker, right? But at the time of this album... I believe he was closeted, or if at least he, if he... He was not defining himself as bisexual yet. He was privately out. People who knew him knew he was sleeping with men. Yes, but I want to say that this is the first time in his discography that he sings about a gay character. So so obtusely, like so obviously. Like th- there could be arguments about other songs, but this one is really clearly about a young girl who is who likes women right so for the first time that elton john sings very obviously about a gay character the the moral of the song is very strange at least I strange think so. maybe for our sensibilities 
Right. But it's also very sad because I guess it's more of a statement to the time. So just very briefly. So Alice is a young lesbian girl who clearly doesn't fit in with society. And as the chorus states, she starts sleeping with married women who are either struggling with their own sexuality or know that they are gay or bisexual, but have to present in this heteronormative way because that is what society is telling yeah. them. And so what ha- what happens to Alice? She ends up dead. Yeah. And that's literally the first time Elton John sings about a gay character. It's a gay character who is sleeping with married women who are struggling with their own place in society and she ends up dead for it. So Jeffrey, do you want to go a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, I want to go a little bit deeper. This song has such a powerful rhythm and it's such a banger it we is so that word. It's, fine. it's a great name it it's a great it word it you, you just want to bang it around in your head the chorus is so interesting all the young girls love alice tender young alice they say the way it's sung is that it's sanguine or it's it's saccharine come over and please me come over and see me Alice, it's my turn today. All the young girls love Alice. Tender young Alice, they say, if I give you my number, will you promise to call me? Wait till my husband's away. They're pleading with Alice to come over, to give them something that they need. And, you know, when I spoke to my mother about this song, like after we went to the concert, I was like, Mom, what do you think that song's about? And she's like, oh, it's about drugs. Alice sells drugs. Well, it's very similar to that the White Rabbit song, the Go Ask Alice. And then you think of Alice in Wonderland, like going down the rabbit hole and how Alice in Alice in Wonderland also doesn't feel like she has a place in society and goes into her own world. And I feel like there's a very similar theme going on here. Absolutely. Where you have Alice, this character who is sort of at the disposal of other people in the world. But you know this is a song about women loving women or women having sex with women because of verse two. Poor little darling with a chip out of her heart. There's something missing because she can't authentically be herself. It's like acting in a movie when you got the wrong part, which is such a closeted reference. What a really clear signal of being in the closet. Um, Getting your kicks in another girl's bed, obviously. Um, and it was only last Tuesday. Oh, they found you in the subway dead. And who could you call your friends down in Soho, where gay people lived? One or two middle-aged dykes in a go-go. So you know what this song is about, that there was no one for Alice in the end. It's this deeply sad song. It really is. And if you think about it in the context, like as we spoke about that, Ellen John was not out at this point. And how you have this message of a song where these married women aren't ending up dead because they're presenting in a heteronormative way and that's why they're still alive. But Alice, while being herself or trying to find herself and be out, ends up killing her. And that's such a sad but true message of the time. Yeah. And, you know, this is, I think... One possible interpretation of this is Bernie Taupin warning Elton John and saying, hey, do you want to end up this way? Is this who you want to be? You know, Bernie maybe didn't say that explicitly. Maybe that wasn't the message. That's one interpretation. Another one is memorializing all the children who 
were lost to homophobia. And this song does that really well. It takes on the voice of the oppressor as the speaker and really captures how messed up it was. And it's a really, really, really heart-wrenching banger. <laughs> it's a real punk song I feel song like that's going to just me. be, like, if we were to hashtag our podcast, it's just like, hashtag banger, hashtag banger lit. <laughs> Everything's a banger on this album. It's fine. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of side C. Woo! That was a journey. We're moving on to side D. This is the one that I think, of all of the sides... This one is the one that really kind of fits together the best. It does. I would actually say this and side A. Side A. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So So let's take a look at it. Yes. So side D starts with your sister can't twist, but she can rock and roll. The title tells you a lot about the song to to begin with. So you have the twist, which was this old school dance move. Everybody can do the twist. Right, a chubby checker made the dance popular with his song. Yep. So you have this reference to like the 50s style rock and roll, but it's this, there's this really frantic beat. Like it's it's very frenetic. and Yeah, and it's impossible to do the twist too. I've tried. It is, but it's this critique of sock hop, I think, and this mocking nostalgia like, oh, you want to go back to that? No. Right. We're letting loose now. And we're embracing the new music and the wild side. You have the sister that the singer is talking about how she can like buck like a bronco, which is like such like a sexual image. We have more of that. We have more sexualizing of literally a 16 year old. Like we saw that in all the young girls love Alice. We saw that in in Dirty Little Girl. Like there's more sexualization of little girls. And I don't think that. It means to authentically do that. It's commenting this song because this song is deliriously hard to follow. It's like a song on drugs. It is a song on drugs. It's like being on cocaine listening to this. Not that I've ever been on cocaine, um, but it's... Thank you for that disclaimer. Right, but it's like, well, Elton John was on cocaine. He wrote about it a lot in the biography, as you said. Oh, my God. I, yep, I, yeah, I know that. This really song well. is so rapid fire. The lyrics come at you so quickly. You can barely follow it. And then there's an interval after the second verse and second chorus that is carnival music. Like you're on a carousel that's going out of control. And it's really intense. It's really actually hard to enjoy. This song is very much the weird older sibling of Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting. Yes, it really is. And you make a really good point that it's like the song on drugs. I think when I first heard this song, it sounds like when you have a vinyl on a record player and you turn the speed up. Yep. And it sounds unnaturally fast. I wonder how it sounds if you slow it down. I wonder if it's a little bit better. <laughs> that would be an interesting test to do. Yeah. So now moving into one of your favorites. Oh, I love this one. I know. I don't have a ton to unpack here because I think this is one of the songs that doesn't really pretend to be anything other than it is. Yeah, but I have a lot to say about it. I know you do. So I'm just going to say this is one of his bigger hits. It's, I'm going to say it, it's such a banger. <laughs> It is such, such a, banger. a banger. And there's just that tune everyone knows. It's one of those songs, if you're going out on the town with your friends in a previous life when we were able to do that, this is 
song as you're either pre-gaming or you're on your way to the bar. Getting pumped. We're going to wreak havoc. We're going to have a great time. And it's literally just the songs about getting drunk and starting fights. But the excess, indulging, drinking, fighting. But I think you wanted to dive into the more socialist and political undertones that you're reading from the song. Yeah, I mean, this is a real working class song. You know, it's the first verse is very British. It's very British. This first verse is creating this home life scene. It's almost like the first line is bringing the speaker downstairs to ask mom it's getting late have you seen my mates ma tell me when you're when the boys get here it's seven o'clock and i want to rock want to get a belly full of beer so we have this young young character who wants to just go out and drink my old man is drunker than a barrel full of monkeys and my old lady she don't care my sister looks cute in her braces teeth braces and boots and a handful of grease in her hair. So she's like this punk character, like Benny and the Jets. This is very much a, I've had enough of this crap for the week, and I want to go out and party. And this is a real party song, a real banging song. It's full of anger. It's full of frustration. It's full of wanting to get out and to relax. And it's, you know, starting the fight is this cool thing it's like this energized excited cool thing a couple of the sounds that i really like are the sounds of a switchblade and a motorbike i'm a juvenile product of the working class whose best friend floats in the bottom of the glass so here's more of that like working class drama of i'm a product of having no money of having to work hard my whole life of my family having to work hard and having only saturday drinking to look forward to so much that my best friend is drunk all the time, lives in the bottom of the glass all the time. And, you know, the image to me that is really, really powerful is get about as oiled as a diesel train. Oiled, you know, drunk. Get as drunk as a diesel train. Gonna set this dance alight. Because Saturday night's the night I like. Saturday night's all right, all right. And which I think is interesting because it implies that there's no end to Saturday. And that's the way that the song ends, is this constant repetition of Saturday, the word Saturday night. Never mind that there's church in the morning. And, you know, he played this song not at the end of the concert. It was the third to last song. So he did this song as a way to excitedly say goodbye. And then he kind of went backstage. He took a two-minute, changed outfits, came out in like a robe almost, actually. And then he played Your Song and Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. And those were kind of like his encore. But this was like a fake-out last, last song. But it's such a powerful, brilliant song. I mean, it's just so much fun. It's, it's so exciting. Every time I hear it, I'm excited. And I'm like, yes. What a great song. It's a a great hype song. And I think that, you know, this speaks to Elton and Bernie's talent because you have lots of hype songs, but this is the quintessential one. This song and ACDC's Shoot to Thrill, like they have a lot of the same elements, but this song really sort of like elevates that theme. I never thought in any conversation that you would draw the parallel between Elton John and ACDC. Why not? But I like it. I like it. Why not? You make a lot of sense, my friend. You make a lot of sense. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a real party song and it deserves its place in the pantheon of great party songs. It's such a good party song. And as I said, in a previous life, you and I would be probably in our dorms getting ready to go out on Main Street in Madison to to this song. Oh yeah, our exciting lives on Main Street in Madison. <laughs> yeah, like going to one of like two bars. Going to Poor Herbie's. Poor Herbie's. Poor Herbie's or Prospect Tavern. Or Prospect. Yeah. And that brings us to Roy Rogers. Which is like the... Calm I down. I think out of all... Yes, it. I think out of all the songs on this album, the transition from Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting to Roy Rogers is the most interesting transition. I absolutely 100% think so. Saturday night is the party. Roy Rogers is the church. Yep. And I would also say, as you said, it's the morning after. It's the calming down. It's the church. You have, again, this reoccurring theme. This is now the third public figure we have referenced in this album. Yeah, I think so. Because we have we have Marilyn Monroe, we have Danny Bailey, who is fictional, but that that's fine. Still a eulogy to a public figure. And then we have this third one, which I would say is probably the closest to a real eulogy yeah. or um or obituary rather, because there's still that sense of the the speaker is somewhat removed. There's like there is a reverence there, but it's not like I knew you in in the first song on this side which was like a mockery of nostalgia this one is full-on embracing it yes i think is a interesting again flipped on its head how your sister can twist but she can rock and roll that's that's a mockery of nostalgia but this one is full-on idealization of this era of roy rogers going back to those old tv shows and old values for comfort like i kind of think of how in our childhood like waking up for saturday morning cartoons that's kind of the feeling that i get listening to this song absolutely and again like we've said in the past elton and bernie were enamored with the american west they did two whole albums about it before this one and it really influences their work even in you know even in honky chateau we have honky cat and we have we have songs that are all about the American West in Madman Across the Water, which is uh, like another really Americana album, all the way till their 2006 album, Captain and the Kid, which revitalizes this Western theme with a couple of tracks like Route 67 and the Captain and the Kid, the title track. So, you know, Roy Rogers, real person, We'll take a look a little bit at the lyrics here. We idolize this character. Oh, and Roy Rogers is writing tonight, returning to our silver screens. Comic book characters never grow old, evergreen heroes whose stories were told. Oh, the great sequin cowboy who sings of the plain, of roundups and rustlers and home on the range. Turn on the TV, shut out the lights, Roy Rogers is writing tonight. And if that isn't the perfect sum up, of what this album is trying to say. I don't know what is. It really is such a beautiful, almost conclusion, because the album's not quite over yet. It's the last time we get the, a eulogy or an obituary in this album, and it's such a beautiful way to to say kind of goodbye to that theme. Right. And this the theme that we're kind of calling back to is this 
okay, we want to admire the work of the person who is on that silver screen. We want to respect the work that they've done. Why do we idolize the superficial? Why do we idolize Marilyn Monroe? Why do we idolize Benny and and her jets? Why do we go through all this work of being famous, being in the spotlight, if we're going to be exhausted with it? Well, here's the audience responding how much they love Roy Rogers, what it does for them, and the permanence of the fame. That fame is a cruel, is a cruel mistress, I guess, cruel partner. But ultimately, you can be rewarded with this never growing old, with being an evergreen hero. Right. That's such a perfect summation of that song. And, you know, this one, this one has a nice tune. <laughs> it's a it pretty does. nice it song really to listen to. It's a very soft, very beautiful, slow melody. And then we have the verse two, nine o'clock mornings, five o'clock evenings. I'd liven the place if I could. Oh, I'd rather have ham in my sandwich than cheese, but complaining wouldn't do any good. Lay back in my armchair, close eyes and think clear. I can hear hoofbeats ahead. Roy and Trigger just have just the hilltop while the wife and kids are in bed. It's romanticizing the domestic life that neither Elton nor Bernie were going to get at this time and really never did. Well, Bernie Taupin a little bit and Elton John like maybe 50 years later. Right. I was going to say it's very dreamlike and almost like, not to be morbid, but it almost has that dying element to it right before that theoretical go to heaven. It has that tone of now I'm breathing my last breath and this is what I'm holding on to for comfort before I die. Yeah. It's this really romantic song about, you know, what could have been and where Elton and Bernie ended up finding themselves and where we often find ourselves. You know, how many of us during the pandemic relied on Roy Rogers or someone like Roy Rogers to get through it. I was going to say, I've never watched any. I've never watched Roy Rogers, Rogers, but. I've eaten at a Roy Rogers, (laughs) but that's completely different. I've never eaten at a Roy Rogers and I don't plan on it. You're better off. It's fine. It's It's fine. But. Moving on to the next song, which is another Ooh, weird transition. Weird transition and a weird song. It is a, it is such a weird song. So you go from Roy Rogers, which is old time values and, again, embracing nostalgia instead of mocking it. And then you go into Social Disease, which is literally a song about addiction and STDs, which you can't get any better of a transition than that. It's like this last side of this album, I feel like, is this constant... I'm going to talk about this and now I'm going to flip it on its head. And then we'll talk about in a minute how the album closes out. But again, you start off with this mockery of nostalgia. Then you go into this social, political drinking fight song. And then you calm down and go back to embracing nostalgia. And now we're talking about STDs. It's almost like this song is waking up the next morning from that nostalgia. Like the Roy Rogers is almost a dream. And then this is like this really hard left turn into reality. The image is there. My bulldog is barking in the backyard enough to raise a dead man from his grave, waking this speaker up. 
and I can't concentrate on what I'm doing, disturbance going to crucify my days. And the days get longer and longer, and the nighttime is a time of little use, for I just get ugly and older. I get juiced on Mateus and just hang loose. So Mateus is a sparkling rosé from Portugal that is really, like, cheap, but it's very sweet. It's a medium sweet, according to the internet. And, I mean, it's probably better now. It's probably, you know, a different thing, but it, it's not, like, a really well-respected one. And the whole song is, like, this pun on being, like, a venereal disease, is the character in the song is, is pretty much a venereal disease. Right. And I think it's so funny. The song sounds so much like Honky Cat. It does. I think it borrows from Honky Cat, like, the tune. It's almost like Honky Cat, the character in Honky Cat, who's this like bright, optimistic guy who's trying to get into the city life. It's almost like this is the outcome. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Because this speaker is like, I don't care. I'm getting by. I pay my rent via sleeping with my landlady and paying her in sex and liquor. And it's literally this very weird acceptance of being a social disease in the sense that they have an STD and and the fact that they're an addict, which, again, if we think about Elton John's struggle with addiction, that's like a fairly powerful thing for him to sing. Because I think there was a whole period in the memoir where he just kept topping himself on how much coke he was doing and just all sorts of debauchery. And I think, again, Bernie might have written this song as a warning or as a way for him to speak about what he was seeing his friend go through. So it's just a very interesting song on this album. Yeah, it's really, the song is pretty comfortably paced. But the lyrics are really intense, really intense. The, the chorus is, and I get bombed for breakfast in the morning, and I get bombed for dinner time and tea. I dress in rags, smell a lot, and have a real good time. I'm a genuine example of a social disease. That's a pretty intense chorus. Right. Again, they're not pretending to be something that they aren't. This is their public persona. This is their private persona. This is just who they are. And if we're talking about that theme again, there is no public persona. This is just the reality. And like Sweet Painted Lady, we're looking at her through the lens of the Navy guys as the sailors. And in this, this is the speaker speaking about himself in the reflection of the wine bottle, of the tequila bottle. That's such a good image. That's yeah. such a good image. And that's what he sees. He sees someone who has been totally broken and lost. That's such an interesting thing that you pick up because my interpretation of the song is that either by like depression or apathy, this person just does not care anymore. They are broken, but they don't really seem to care that they're broken. I mean, it seems like the character is acknowledging it and doesn't really care or wouldn't know how to get out of it is just sort of mocking themselves. I'm a genuine example of a social disease. That's the second to last song, and the last song is so interesting. Harmony. It's so interesting. Harmony. Which is a beautiful song. It's such a beautiful song. It is the perfect closer to this album because 
I think it's the same speaker from Love Lies Bleeding. Absolutely. That's my interpretation of it, that it's the same speaker from Love Lies Bleeding who was mourning this relationship and struggling with, you know, choosing domestic life versus rock and roll life. And the way I interpreted it, the album begins with this person wanting to escape rock and roll. And this whole journey through the album has been that examination of this life living in the public, wanting to go back to their roots, but maybe thinking, how do I get out? Do I want to get out? Like there's all these perks to fame and there's that struggle with it. And I interpreted it that the speaker is now accepting their life as a musician and literally living in harmony, aka living with music. I am now living in harmony. I love that. And choosing the life of being a music man. And you don't really get the sense that they're mourning that relationship anymore. They've now gone through all the highs and lows of the rock star life, and they've fully embraced it and are looking ahead to the future. That's how I interpreted this song. Yeah, I just... I completely agree with you. I think that the other layer I would add is the speaker is talking to that person in Love Lies Bleeding that is the other half of the couple. And this first verse is so incredibly caustic. Hello, baby, hello. Haven't seen your face for a while. Have you quit doing time for me? Or are you still the same spoiled child? So have you moved on from me? Have you quit working for me? Or are you still upset about the breakup? Hello. I said hello. Demanding to be heard. Is this the only place you thought to go? Am I the only man you ever had? Or am I just the last surviving friend that you know? Which, oh my god. What a biting read. What a really, really mean thing to say. Right. And it's totally different from that tone that you have in Love Life Leading, which is just raw mourning. Like, I'm sorry, honey. And I split the band. I I quit for you. I did this for you. That desperate, I love you all to anything. And now it's, again, totally flipped on its head where it's just, hi, hello. Yeah. Are you you done with me now? Can you be done with me? Like, I've moved on. Yeah. And the way that Elton sings this is slow, dry, pretty tired. You know, it's not an angry song. It's an exhausted song, as if the speaker is exhausted with their own life. And then the chorus, Harmony and me, we're pretty good company, looking for an island in our boat upon the sea. Harmony, gee, I really love you, and I want to love you forever, and dream of never, never, never leaving harmony and the chorus is this idea that almost sarcastically almost ironically the harmony is with the self and that there is this island out there that if you are in harmony with yourself for long enough you might reach and never forget that's such a beautiful interpretation thank you I love that idea. It's always I been one of my idea. favorites on this album. One of my favorite Elton and, John songs. Oh, it's the perfect closer to this. This is such a long album. If you couldn't tell. It's a very <laughs> long album. It's such a long album, but you literally feel like you're on this journey and you 
see all these different sides of fame and that that struggle with being famous and you finally get to the end of this road and they're at peace with their decision and the outro for this is just repeating the words harmony and elton says it a few times and says it different each time like it's not a repetition of the same intonation it's a little different each time until the very last bar which is ah like relief it ends on a note of relief like finally letting go finally letting go and i think that's that's a good place to land on this album it really is it almost feels like during the album this speaker singer is in this weird kind of purgatory and this is them finally kind of moving on to the next plane yeah at least my first time really listening to this album all the way through as i said you have that imagery of death and mourning and not being able to let go i think throughout the album again you have this sense of purgatory being in limbo not being able to move from one side to the other and now they're finally moving on yeah and i think it's a good time for us to move on to some other stuff (laughs) it is it is so wow so that was goodbye elbrick road and before we conclude our episode i think we just wanted to talk about a couple other cultural elton john things yeah some of the covers that are on the 40th anniversary edition of this album which I can't stress enough. It's such a good edition of the album. And I will say some of the covers are hit and miss. I know you and I both love Fall Out Boy's cover of Saturday, Saturday Night. Night's That's, all right it's for fighting. such a good modern interpretation of the song. And it's so quintessentially Fall Out Boy. The way they did it, if you had not heard Elton John's version, you would just think it's another Fall Out Boy song. Yeah. They really put their own fingerprint on it. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of covers of these songs. And, you know, I want to just focus on the ones that are on the 40th edition, because there have been a few different albums that do covers of these songs. But, you know, just so that we're sticking to this album, you know, the ones on here are pretty ambitious, like Miguel and Whale doing Benny and the Jets with a little bit of a rap interlude in there. Hunter Hayes' Goodbye Elbrick Road. You know, honestly, I think it's hard to interpret this song if you're not Elton John. The band Perry's Gray Seal does a pretty good attempt. And, you know, John Grant doing Sweet Painted Lady takes it to a little bit more of a country zone. Emily Sanday doing All the Girls Love Alice. Really interesting interpretation she took of it. The one that kind of stood out to me is your... Emilda May's version of Your Sister Can't Twist But She Can Rock and Roll. And she kind of just takes it as it is. She kind of just lets her voice dance with the music a little bit. And honestly, I thought the that Zach Brown Band's cover of Harmony took away from the original. Other stuff on this edition that is worth a listen is the original recording of Gray Seal is on here it's on its own album um it's on its own special edition of the elton john 1970 album you also get a piano solo of it of just elton playing piano on it 
Um, you also get a couple of singles like Philadelphia Freedom, which didn't come out till much later. I don't know why it's here. Pinball Wizard, which came out before this. And you get a couple of live tracks on this one, um, live at the Hammersmith Odeon, which let me tell you, if you love a live album, this is the really good one. This is a really good Elton John live album. It's probably my second favorite one after One Night Only, which he did in the 90s. There's a lot of good stuff on here. You know, if you have Spotify, it's on there. You can also get it as a vinyl. You can also get it as a CD. Perfect. So we've talked about the 40th anniversary edition of this album. I don't want to get too much more into the memoir. I feel like I'm one of the few people who went into this with really high expectations and they were not met. I guess because I wanted it to be good material for speaking about Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and I really did expect a behind the music sort of memoir, but it's really just about Elton John and his issues growing up. He had a horrible relationship with his mother pretty much until she died and had a lot of issues as a gay man trying to find stable relationships with men. It was a lot about how he rubbed elbows with a lot of famous people. He named drops a lot about, you know, how he met the queen, how he met Elvis, how... Uh, he Which was... is really interesting because who he, he is the name drop. I know, <laughs> You know right? what I mean? But... Like... But then he's like, oh, I was BFFs with John Lennon and we would pull pranks on each other. And it was so hilarious. I have a question. Yeah. Does he say anything about Rod Stewart? Because yes. Rod Stewart says stuff about him yes. in his book. Yes. They were really close, but they had a very fun but antagonistic relationship. I think they were the ones also like they were pranking each other. I think John Lennon and Elton John would buy like weird extravagant gifts for one another. Yes. Elton then, John um, bought him his Rolls Royce. Yes. And then Rod Stewart, I think they would just keep playing pranks on each other. And a lot of the times they were very cruel. But yeah, that's the kind of relationship that they had. But there's a lot of name dropping. And then there's this like weird middle period where he's talking a lot about his friendship with Ryan White, and how that was a huge inspiration for him to get sober. But so much of the book is him and, and you know maybe it's just my reading taste but i'm not like a huge addict memoir person like, yeah i, I it's, it's not that i don't respect the struggle because i i know people who struggle with addiction and i really do empathize with their struggle but it's just a lot to read for so many chapters like when yeah. you're going on and on about like i did like a mountain of coke and you know, I I had blackouts and it was like chapter upon chapter about all of the stuff. And the one thing I will appreciate is how he was very honest. He he never said, you know, he never felt like he was sorry for himself. He admitted that he would be incredibly cruel to people. He admitted in relationships that he would force his boyfriends to essentially drop everything that they were doing and abandoned their lives to go be on tour with him. And he would essentially use them as toys and then discard them when he got tired of them and all this like very sad stuff. But there were maybe little blips of we recorded this album and I did not expect this song to be a hit. And it was, but that was really the deepest he would go. Yeah. So yeah. that is what I found frustrating about the memoir. And then it, of course it ended in, I lived happily ever after. And then there was like a very sad part where he was talking about how 
he had cancer and was wearing like diapers on stage at one point when he had well that's commitment i appreciate that very talented man lived a clearly a very colored life but i don't know i i hesitate to recommend the memoir because i went into it with such high expectations because as i was talking to you it had so many five-star reviews rave reviews by like new york times all these different journals i I thought it was going to be something else that it it essentially wasn't but that that's my hot take on the memoir yeah and i know just to sort of talk a little bit about him and to close out you know he he is really well known as mentoring other musicians he does talk about that he talks about that you know he took miley cyrus under his wing and helped her get more sober and you know he was there for ariana grande when ariana grande had there was the terrorist attack at her concert and he has mentored lady gaga and of course he discovered ed sheeran and ed sheeran is on his label he's done an amazing job trying to take care of these artists and you know just a little bit about the rocket man movie the movie really reinterprets his songs in a completely different way and really adapts them as like a musical. I know you and I have different opinions on, on the I, movie. I didn't love the movie. I loved the movie, but that's okay. I didn't fall in love with it. It was more the movie's fault than anything else. Like I just didn't think it was well done. And by that, I mean, compared to like Across the Universe, which it was clearly emulating, it was. I don't think it accomplished the goal enough. But the funny thing about that is it has Elton John's 100% sign off. Well, I think that's part of it, the problem. That is part of the problem. So again, I saw Rocketman before I read the memoir. I, I just read the memoir for this project. But the memoir and the movie are completely different. And you would think that they, were, they would kind of be one in the same. But I think, I guess, for dramatic purposes, they needed to play up a lot more things. But so I know Elton John and Taron Egerton, who plays Elton John in the movie, are also, are very close now. I, he, Taron Egerton actually narrated the audiobook for his memoir. So that that's that. Yeah, and he does a great job. He does in do the a movie. great job. But I personally thought it definitely had the trippy, like the trippiness. I thought was was great, and I'm not normally I'm I'm normally not a fan of that sort of. Thing. like I liked Across the Universe but I didn't love it but I thought with Rocketman I thought it was such a good emulation of Elton John's personality I think the, yeah the examination that he had in the memoir of how he a lot of the times felt like he was still awkward like Reginald Dwight and which is Elton John's real name for those who don't know and how he was always struggling with that inner self, that inner child was always like needy or wanting approval. And, and I thought it did a good job with that, but I think everything else was a lot of artistic license. Like the relationship that they portray in the movie between him and his manager was like, apparently they portrayed it as being like drawn out for years and it drove a wedge between him and Bernie. And as you and I, talked about in previous the previous episode like bernie and elton supposedly according to elton like never fought or never had a falling out yeah and they the movie portrayed their relationship as a lot more tumultuous i think and you know really my problem with the movie was early in the movie they do tiny dancer and it's a walkthrough uh 
it's literally just a walk and talk. Also, that there's this weird thing where it's also saying like at one point Elton was in love with Bernie, which he never said yeah, in the memoir. Uh, which never. he's never said ever. Never said ever. And you know, I think the movie is nuanced enough in that scene to say that it was like jealousy, but yeah, I was just like, how can you take the song and make it a walkthrough? Like a walk through a house and and Elton's just singing it. Like that was really problematic. And it's directed at Bernie. And you know, there was and then, you know, but some things it did really well. I you know, it's it just wasn't as it wasn't everything I wanted it to be. So yeah, I think that's I think that's, that's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, yeah, right? That's, so that's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Thank you all so much for joining us on this trippy, fun journey into this album that is near and dear to both of our hearts. And with that, I wanted to just go into briefly what we're going to be talking about next, which I am beyond excited for. This is my baby album. We are going to be unpacking Rumors by Fleetwood Mac next, which, oh my god. It's essentially just going to be a gossip session between you and I. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun because essentially the moral of the story of rumors is everyone sleeps with everybody in Fleetwood Mac and everyone gets really pissed off. And and it's just just such a beautiful breakup, makeup, unrequited love album. So good. It's album of divorce, album of anger, just best breakup album ever yeah and until then you can find me on spotify as jeffrey edelstein take a look at the playlists and you'll find a under single artists folder you'll find my father's gun my elton john favorites playlist i love your playlist i don't have anything to plug i don't have anything to plug yet other than this project so (laughs) you by the time we release this episode or the the first two episodes We'll have an Instagram up. Follow us on that. You and I are both on social media. My Instagram is Kate Cromley Lynn. That's where I'm the most active on social media. And with that, thank you all again so much for listening. And we will see you next time. See ya. See ya.